This is unlike anything that's been seen in this town before by anyone. Tonight on the news hour, Fiona shows no mercy. The fierce storm slams Atlantic Canada, leaving devastation and heartache. Plus, we really cannot descend into a brawl here, no matter how passionate. Clash of the candidates. Vancouver's mayoral hopefuls make their case in one of the city's most troubled communities. And I've seen people's houses burn in the Okanagan. Uh, despite our best efforts, and, uh, and that's, that'll never leave me. One final run for a water bomber that's fought some of BC's biggest wildfires. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Neighbors pulled one woman out of the water after storm surge enveloped her home, her home in Portobasque, Newfoundland. The town is under a state of emergency as Fiona wallops the east coast. Police are investigating reports that a second woman was swept out to sea as well. Several homes, including a two-story apartment building, were simply washed away. Good evening and thanks for joining us. More than half a million homes are without power tonight in Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, Quebec and Newfoundland and Labrador as post-tropical storm Fiona made landfall with a power rarely seen in Canada. The Prime Minister has cancelled a trip to Japan as federal forces mobilize to help with the aftermath. And as Ross Lord reports, the destruction is everywhere. These are telltale signs of a damaging storm. Trees snapped off by vicious winds. It's the scene in many parts of Atlantic Canada, contributing to property damage, power outages, and anguish. I could sleep, like, intermittently, but definitely had some spurts of being afraid. But Fiona, which made landfall as a post-tropical storm, has created even worse devastation and heartbreak. In southwest Newfoundland, a massive storm surge carried entire houses out to sea. Since 6 o'clock this morning, all I've seen is destruction. All I've seen is damage, um, homes, you know, pulverized, uh, absolutely gone. I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen boats in playgrounds. The heartbreaking result of Fiona's massive size and record-setting intensity. While still a major hurricane, Fiona merged with a separate weather system, hurtled toward Atlantic Canada and eastern Quebec, and lingered for much longer than previous storms. Most residents heeded advice to stock up on essential supplies and to stay inside. Some residents in Cape Breton, where Fiona made landfall, were ordered to shelter in place until it passes. The reality is the storm isn't even over yet. It's still hitting Cape Breton very hard right now in the... Uh, the, the tail end of the hurricane is, uh, or, or post-tropical storm, Fiona is hitting them. So it, it, will take, uh, it will take a few days to get damage assessments, that's for sure. Near Dundee, Cape Breton, Fiona's impact knocked out a culvert, the cavity engulfing a passing motorist. They came around the turn and it's a very, very sharp turn. After tumbling over the edge, the driver reportedly escaped with minor injuries. As of mid-afternoon Saturday, Nova Scotia RCMP said they had no reports of fatalities. But in Portobasque, the news is heartbreaking. I can tell you that there are three or four homes down here that are absolutely gone. There's nothing left. At least two people were swept out to sea. Residents say one person was rescued, the other was not. 
A frightening warning from RCMP in the Kelowna area after five people died of drug overdoses in just nine hours. The first call came in this morning just outside the downtown core. Ambulance attendants found a 32-year-old man dead in his bed, signs of drug use everywhere around him. Since then, four more people have been found in Kelowna and West Kelowna. RCMP say they're very concerned about the sudden spike. They're advising people who use drugs not to use alone and to carry naloxone to reverse an overdose. Well, the issues of drug use, public safety and homelessness made for a sometimes fiery debate today involving five of Vancouver's mayoral candidates. They squared off in Chinatown, a community that faced enormous struggles during the pandemic, challenges which continue to this day. Kristen Robinson was there and has more on the questions, answers and non-answers from the candidates. Prolific graffiti, stranger attacks and street disorder. This is the backdrop for a mayoral town hall in Chinatown. All five candidates addressing the area's most pressing issues, including how they propose to make the streets safe again in their first months in office. Criminals that are assaulting people that are breaking into businesses have to be dealt with. So, sorry, you are out of time. We're in a crisis. We have to act now. We are going to ask on day one for the Vancouver Police Department to hire 100 additional officers and 100 additional mental health nurses. Along with more police walking the streets, team's Colleen Hardwick says she would hire a downtown east side commissioner to take charge of all spending, including in Chinatown. How is it that we've spent hundreds of millions of dollars and things have gotten even worse? We need somebody that knows how to target individual criminals and how to target individual criminal groups and take them off the streets. Immediate things that we could do, one is to get better lighting in Chinatown, another one is to clean the actual streets. I'm going to let the mayor 30 seconds to okay. say what you were actually going to do because sure. we never got to that. Right, so for the career criminals... We need to fully fund the VPD. In 2021, Kennedy Stewart voted not to increase Vancouver's police budget. The police board appealed the council decision, and the provincial government later ordered the city to reinstate $5.7 million in funding. We're going to shift the strategy um, towards quality units so people actually can live and will live in these units as we look to the provincial and federal government for more supports when it comes to wraparound services. That's how ABC's Ken Sim would immediately reduce street encampments in a way that improves the lives of the homeless. Hardwick says we need to find appropriate housing for those in need. If the tone is come on down, Vancouver is a destination for homelessness, then we're never going to solve this problem. The NPA's Fred Harding promises treatment and the removal of East Hastings tents by Christmas. If it was your child on the street and all we had to offer them was harm reduction and slum housing, do you think that's good enough? Identify some city-owned land for some intentional encampments. Stewart promising compassion over action. These are folks that need deep care, and they're victims. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A growing number of women are running in this year's municipal elections in B.C., seeking to shape the future of their communities. Among those running, younger women and those seeking re-election. With more women in the race, barriers and stereotypes are being broken. And once more women are in office, more changes will become evident. Equality advocates encourage women to dismiss any insecurities about their qualifications or experience. 
there's a something called the confidence gap. 28% to 48% of uh, women and men uh, think that they're ready to sign up for this job. You are ready. So the excuse of I have too much on my plate, I can't do it now, I'm not qualified enough, it's not working. Sign up, do this now, you are ready. You are very much qualified to do this. Dozens of residents have been displaced by a morning structure fire in East Vancouver. Just after 8 this morning, fire crews were called to a building near Dunleavy Avenue and Powell Street for reports of heavy flames and smoke. The fire started on the second floor and quickly spread to the third. 32 firefighters responded to bring those flames under control. The building's utilities have been shut off and social services has been called in to assist displaced residents. We have called for emergency social services for uh, you know, some shelter for you know, 6 to 12 occupants at this time. No injuries have been reported and we've just finished a primary search of the building and that's an all clear right now. Now at this point the cause remains unknown. Well the struggles to find affordable housing in Vancouver are well documented and activists often point to co-ops as a solution. Vancouver's first ever co-op is turning 50 this weekend. The DeCosmos Village opened at the corner of Boundary and 49th back in 1972. The United Church and BC Federation of Labor, Labor provided the money for the original construction, bringing a new form of housing to Metro Vancouver. Today, 110 families live at DeCosmos and co-ops provide more than 6,000 homes in more than 70 locations across the province. Well, it was a really good place to grow up. You know, it was kind of like our own little community with all our friends were so close by and we had sleepovers and it was always, you know, every, all the parents knew each other. It's fabulous to live here. I've lived here 45 years. My daughter grew up here. Uh, my grandsons grew up here. It's a safe, very safe and secure place for families. Definitely there should be more housing co-ops everywhere, not just in Vancouver, but the province and the country. A hiker's rescue today on Mount Strachan is a good reminder of the importance of being prepared. Search crews were called to Mount Strachan just after noon today after an experienced hiker slipped and hurt his ankle. He had people with him who assessed his condition and realized he would not be able to walk out on his own. Rescue trucks drove up the ski run to within 100 meters of the hiker. They say the hiker did everything right but still couldn't get out by himself. In this case, the subject was well well prepared. He was hiking with friends. They had gear. They had first aid. They had bear spray. Uh, he had decent footwear. So, you know, one of those things that it's always good to be prepared for things to go wrong uh, because it can just like that. He's he's experienced. Never had an issue before, and you know, goes on a hike that he thinks relatively easy and ends up in trouble, and all of a sudden you're up there for hours. Still to come on the news hour tonight, rural health care on life support. The urgency has changed. The worsening situation in small towns across BC and how local advocates are taking action on their own. Plus, I'm eternally grateful for the life she gave up, the life she gave me, and the life she gave my parents. All grown up 40 years later, the baby born in a fire hall reunites with the people who helped bring her into the world. 
Gas prices continue their upward swing across the Lower Mainland. A liter of regular sells for $2.21 in downtown Vancouver today, but that may not be the worst of it. Prices tomorrow are expected to shoot up another 13 cents a liter. Experts say the entire West Coast is facing a fuel shortage and the effects are being felt from here down to California. Over the last month or so, gas prices here in the Bay Area have slowly started to creep up again. But now we're getting to the point where many consumers are starting to feel it. 59.17. Oh, it's quite a bit more. Marilyn Park estimates she just paid about $10 more to fill up her tank on Friday than she did a month ago. She says gas prices seem to be going up quickly. They went up since yesterday by a lot. A station I normally would go to in San Mateo that's really cheap was... 519 yesterday. Today it was closed, but their sign said 549. And some gas stations are even back in the $6 range. Did you think we were past this point? I was hoping. Here's what the average cost for a gallon of regular gas looks like in San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, San Rafael, and Vallejo, between 555 and 583 a gallon. Here's what it looked like a month ago, between 527 and 551 a gallon. I wish they'd go back down. So does Israel Andrade. Mm, it's uh, too much. Right now, this is a supply and demand story. John Trainer is a spokesperson for AAA. He says there are numerous factors at play near and far that are likely affecting gas prices. One, we have a potential hurricane coming in. Um, whenever hurricane season comes in, that can have an effect on the oil industry and prices tend to go up. At the same time, in California, we have what's called oil refinery turnaround season. So now is the time when oil refineries are taken offline for maintenance and for inspection. At the same time as that's happening, other refineries have had unexpected maintenance, and that means supply is just not keep, keeping up with demand. Park hopes prices stabilize, or even better yet, reverse soon. It makes me think twice before I drive out of the way. Right now, the average price for a gallon of regular gas here in California is about $2 more than the national average. In Redwood City, Max Darrow, KPIX 5. Up next, an exclusive interview with the widow of one of the Saskatchewan stabbing suspects. Look around the derby, hiding. What she says happened the day before the deadly rampage on the James Smith Cree Nation. And later, it's closing time at the Kiefer Yard, why the popular pandemic project had to shut down. It's been three weeks since the deadly attacks in Saskatchewan at James Smith Cree Nation and the nearby town of Weldon. In that time, the RCMP have not provided many answers about what happened. Now there are many more questions. Speaking only to Global News, the wife of one of the suspects says she called RCMP before the attacks began. Nathaniel Dove has the story. I lost my husband and, and my dad too. The widow of one of the suspects of the James Smith Cree Nation stabbings, Sky Sanderson, wife of Damien Sanderson, is now fighting to clear her husband's name and for accountability. Sky Sanderson says she reported her husband and his brother, the other suspect, Miles Sanderson, to police 24 hours before the stabbings took place. They felt me. They, I tried to save my husband. Like I knew, I knew that wasn't my husband. I knew that Miles was feeding my husband something that I don't know of. The cost of RCMP inaction, Sky says, 18 people injured, 10 dead. In her only interview since the stabbings, Sky told Global News' Ashley Stewart her husband didn't kill anyone. 
On the Monday after the attack, RCMP charged Damien with one count of first-degree murder. The same day they charged him, they found his body. Sky says Miles is the culprit. He came down multiple times unexpectedly, and Damien was afraid of his brother. He really was. Sky says it was a pattern, that her husband was a family man who loved his children, but Miles would visit and get Damien, who had struggled with addictions, drunk and high. Then the brothers would get aggressive. Around 4 a.m. Saturday morning, Sky says she was scared and called police. Yeah, I was scared for my safety. And then, so they dispatched the whatever, and then they, you know where Damien possibly might be? I was like, look around his dirt, he's hiding. She told Global News RCMP went to a house where Damien and Miles were, and that officers didn't recognize Damien. They were using an old photo, and she says he gave a fake name. Skye never saw her husband again. I started getting mad at him because he stopped replying me. And I said, how come you don't come home? Like, why don't you come home? Global News asked the RCMP for comment. They did not respond by deadline. A public inquest into the deaths at James Smith Cree Nation and Weldon likely won't begin until at least next year. The family of one of the victims has forgiven Damien. It's a comfort to Skye. But she is still grieving and hurt and now must wait to have her husband's name be either cleared or condemned. Nathaniel Dove, Global News, Saskatoon. Well, the search continues for answers to the crisis in rural health care in this province. Patients waiting for care, emergency rooms shuttered when there aren't enough staff. And what's worse, small towns feel they're being shut out of the process. So, as Travis Prasad reports, they're mobilizing a committee to come up with concrete action. The COVID-19 pandemic has put the spotlight on a health care crisis plaguing rural B.C. for years. We've been struggling with recruitment and retention um, with enough physicians, nurses, midwives for two decades. We've been struggling with um, ensuring adequate patient transport from their community to a larger centre. Advocates for health care in small communities say for far too long, the wants and needs of residents have been ignored. They're not feeling very listened to. They're feeling that people are discussing what should happen in rural areas without really discussing it with the people who live in those rural areas. The desire for team-based care, for interdisciplinary models of care. People are keen to see nurse practitioners integrated along with um, physician health care providers. There's a lot of interest in midwifery to sustain maternity care as close to home as possible. The BC Rural Health Network says solutions to healthcare challenges are much harder to fix in small towns than in urban centers. Rural is not smaller urban, and that's some of the mistakes I think that is that is made in planning. There is completely different economies of scale and local access to resources. The premier has said he's heard of frustration, despondency, and a lack of hope on the future of healthcare from rural mayors. My job is to to hear those concerns. I'm well aware of them. That these problems didn't arrive yesterday, and they won't be solved uh, magically tomorrow. But advocates want action. The Rural Health Network is now launching an implementation committee. Researchers and residents giving policymakers evidence-based solutions to rural health care challenges. We need uh, the decision makers to start viewing rural problems um, as a separate issue to those of the urban uh, health care problem. 
We're not for one second saying anything a rural community wants or advocates for is appropriate to implement, but we do feel that it should be, it, discussion is warranted. And critical for the well-being of one and a half million people who call rural British Columbia their home. Travis Prasad, Global News. Just ahead, good news from the front line of one of BC's biggest wildfires. Plus, the fixture of the wildfire season fights its last battle. What's next for this water bomber and its longtime captain? Some progress in our forests to report. BC's last wildfire of note of the season is not expected to grow beyond its current boundaries. The Battleship Mountain Fire, 50 kilometers west of Hudson's Hope, is now classified as being held. Crews will continue to patrol control lines, mop up and cut down danger trees in hazardous areas. Until the hazards are mitigated, the Johnson Forest Service Road will remain closed. As of 10 Sunday morning, the Battleship Mountain Fire will no longer be considered a wildfire of note. Well, when wildfires break out, fire services turn to water bombers to help beat back the flames. One of the world's leading aerial firefighting companies is based in the Fraser Valley. And this weekend, Conair is celebrating two well-deserved retirements. Catherine Urquhart has the story. 55 makes its descent, touching down following its final fire season. Conair is retiring its Convair CV580 fleet, including 55. Sometimes I call it my girlfriend. How does your wife feel about that? She's fine. She says as long as that's the only girlfriend you have. Her captain, Graham Wilson, is also retiring after spending almost 40 years fighting forest fires around the world. Everything I know about um, fighting forest fires from, a, from an air tanker, I learned from Graham. Over the years, many of Wilson's firefights were intense and memorable. Experiences that you've shared together, uh, risks that you've taken and, uh, and survived. Uh, so that's, that's really the connection. Uh, as I say, she's taken me home every night. Holy sh There were some difficult days when the battles just weren't winnable. Uh, I've seen people's houses burn in the Okanagan. Uh, despite our best efforts, and, uh, and that's, that'll never leave me, that thought of seeing flames coming out the windows and the doors of, of people's houses. But Wilson and his girlfriend, 55 that is, saved countless structures and lives during their time together fighting forest fires. She'll now be on view at Victoria's BC Aviation Museum, and Wilson is set to be a guide there. The two still inseparable. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. All right, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon now with a look at our weather forecast. It does feel a little bit like a weekday, doesn't it, Christy? Don't adjust your television sets. It is actually Saturday. <laughs> It is Saturday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we just yes, really well, love we're our a jobs, right? Staffed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's exactly it. Uh, yeah, tough to be working, though, I have to say. On a day like today, it felt like summer out there, despite the fact we we're actually in fall. And Sophie, I, we'll get into more details about this more summer like weather that we have on the way, but I just can't get over this storm back east. We're so lucky to be 
enjoying summer-like weather. Um, here's a quick look at the storm. So it was a record-breaking storm. Initially, it was a Category 3 as it was barreling towards sort of the Cape Breton area. It weakened as it sort of merged with another trough and turned into more of a subtropical storm. Nonetheless, record-breaking in that the low-pressure center itself uh, was lower than the, that area has ever seen. So 141 kilometer an hour winds over the Cape Breton area as the low tracked across. But one of the biggest uh, or the most damage was done in the Newfoundland area near Porto Basque, uh, as well as Wreckhouse area, where they saw wind gusts in excess of 170 kilometers an hour. And the waves were up to 15 meters. So basically waves coming up onto the shore, grabbing homes and then pulling them back out on into the ocean it, and complete devastation. It is going to take a long time to clean up after that. And you can see some of these waves here. It was just unbelievable. So yes, while we're talking about sunshine, those areas there will be uh, cleaning up as they continue with some rainfall and still gusty winds. That storm really slowed down as it made its way across the area. And so impacting the region still throughout the day today, but just uh, incredible winds, that's for sure. And that storm surge and waves. So sunshine for us again tomorrow. North Coast, you'll see periods of rain, but that's about it. So cool and wet across the North Coast, but other areas we're looking at summer-like conditions where we're a good eight degrees above seasonal for this time of year. And for our region, we'll see areas away from the water heat up to 26 degrees. And we'll see that again on Monday. And then Tuesday, we could see 27 degrees. So we really have four days, sorry, three days of sunshine still on the way. Uh, one thing I want to note is I have put in a chance of showers on Wednesday, but the computer models are not in agreement for that moisture on Wednesday. So there's a chance uh, that may not happen either. It's a really good time also to remind everyone to be careful when you're enjoying it, the great outdoors. We still have 170 fires burning across the province. So back to you. All right. So continue to be careful out there. Thanks, Christy. And mm -hmm. Barry Delay. One of the regulars is working. There. Yes. Yeah. You got me and Christy, or this way, I guess. Me and Christy, the B team. You're the A team today. Today. Just for one, one time only. And I just want to say, if Squire had the option, mm -hmm. he would work seven days a week. But the labor That's laws have, have quashed. Uh, wow. So the uh, Canucks wrapped up training camp in uh, Whistler, just a short three-day one. And they set uh, get set for exhibition games starting tomorrow. We'll uh, have a feature on Curtis Lazar, a new face in Canuck land this year, a BC kid. He's excited to be here. And we'll also look ahead to the Lions game tonight at home against Calgary. If they win, they clinch a playoff spot. So that's all coming up. And will Pennywise be there? Uh, I'm sure Pennywise will be there. Yes, Luchez Perifoy. Great story yesterday by Squire. Yeah. You've seen that, that, that creepy clown on the sidelines. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, the doll, not Squire. And, and uh, <laughs> wondered what that was. So now you know. <laughs> Pennywise is, uh, is something. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Barry. We'll talk to you in a bit. Coming up on the News Hour, fraudsters finding new ways to steal your money. Is this a scam or is this for real? A warning for renters from the FBI next. Breaking news for you now. Fire has badly damaged a home in Burnaby. The fire was spotted just in the last hour along Broadway in the Brentwood area between Fell and Woolwich. Smoke pouring through the roof and towering high above the area. We continue to follow this breaking story. We'll have the latest details for you on BC One throughout the evening. Well, earlier this week, we introduced you to renters in Victoria who were being scammed out of thousands of dollars by bogus landlords. It turns out here in BC, we are just one piece of a very large continent-wide puzzle. Rents hitting an all-time high. 
the average one-bedroom, $17.70 a month, up 39% from last year. In 10 major cities, the average one-bedroom now costs more than $3,000 a month. The FBI is now warning renters this hot market is a hotbed for fraud. All over this country, as rents, home prices increase, as inflation goes, we're seeing scams. Special Agent Brian Galuli says overseas scammers can use multiple online rental platforms, taking real photos and descriptions to make bogus listings. We found dozens of suspicious offers, including this one for a Manhattan apartment listed for $1,000 cheaper than similar units. I'm Vicki Wynn. I'm so I called to ask why. You're renting directly from the owner of the place. I explained this to you at the start of my conversation earlier. Yeah, Wilson, the thing is, we called the owner of the apartment building, and they say this is not their listing, that they did not put this okay. apartment on rent on Craigslist. So okay. is this a scam okay, or is this okay. for real? Okay, that is not a problem. So you can go ahead and rent it from the person that you call. So what are you, what are you doing, Wilson, with this apartment rental? He hung up. In 2021, renters lost more than $350 million to these scams, a 64% increase from the previous year. Christina Ivorone says she was scammed out of nearly eight grand after sending money to secure a room in this New York apartment that she never saw in person. It was like perfect for her first apartment. But when she showed up after a three-hour drive from Rhode Island, she discovered the apartment didn't exist and the person she'd been talking to ghosted her. I had everything in my U-Haul. I had my dog. We were ready. I had plans for the next day to go to a picnic with some friends. And now I was trying to figure out where I was going to live. Are there any red flags when it comes to the listing? Obviously looking for a deal that's too good to be true. Or is if someone is saying that they're out of the country or that there is a need for speed. How often are these people brought to justice? We're focusing our efforts more on the prevention side because once the money is gone, it is extremely difficult to recover. A reminder in this red hot rental market to look for those red flags. Last call at a popular Chinatown bar. I just had to lay off 20 people the other day. Why the Kiefer Yard has been forced to close next. Be part of the Beyond Belief campaign. BC Cancer Foundation has launched the most ambitious and comprehensive health campaign in BC's history to activate BC cancer experts, advance innovation, and accelerate accessibility to world-class care for every British Columbian. Give today at gobeyondbeliefbc.ca. Country superstar Luke Combs is coming to Vancouver on his world tour in 2023. Be there at BC Place as he takes the stage with special guests Riley Green, Lainey Wilson, Flatland Calvary, and Brent Cobb. Our BC is brought to you by the BC Lions. September 30th is Orange Shirt Day. The first 10,000 fans who attend the game will receive a commemorative t-shirt. A popular patio in downtown Vancouver is closing its doors. The Kiefer Bar opened up the outdoor Kiefer Yard as a pandemic project, giving patrons a place to unwind outside. The project was so successful, it made a list of North America's 50 best bars. But when the owners decided to put a tent over their space, the problems began, and they haven't found a way to get their structure up to code. So this week, the fire service ordered the yard to stop cooking and using space heaters under the tent. 20 people receive layoff notices as a result. 
it's emotional, very, uh, very emotional. We had, you know, we went from 12 staff to 48 staff over COVID and uh, just had to lay off 20 people the other day. Probably the hardest thing I've done in a long time. The fire bylaw, that does take supremacy. Fire and life safety are, all, are always a top concern for the city of Vancouver. So, so that was the primary issue here. I think there could have been more work, but you know, in talking to the proprietor, at the end of the day, this is like a short-term lease that he's got and, and it was fallen while it lasted. We created a, a big family here, and I think that's the hardest part. You feel like you know you're 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 leaving your family after this. It was a really good spot. Yeah, it's too bad I was never there, but it looks like a good spot. It was fun, uh, but the Kiefer Bar, the original, will continue to operate. Long live Just, the Kiefer. Long live the Kiefer. Okay. <laughs> That's let's start a campaign. Long live the Kiefer. I'm, I will drink to that. All right, yes, me too. All right, thanks, Sophie. Uh, Canucks have completed their brief three-day training camp in Whistler, and they're on their way back to Vancouver. They get right into the preseason tomorrow. Bruce Boudreau has a couple of teams playing on Sunday. One flies to Calgary to play the Flames, and the other squad will host the Flames. Four, uh, four o'clock start at Rogers Arena. Canucks play seven preseason games in all and open their regular season October 12th in Edmonton. One of the new faces with the Canucks this year is Curtis Lazar, who was born and raised in the Okanagan. He's bounced around a bit in his NHL career. The Canucks are his fifth team. He's had stops in Ottawa, Calgary, Buffalo, and Boston. But he definitely fulfills a need for the Canucks, a right-handed center who will add grit and character to the bottom six. Curtis Lazar was a first-round pick of the Ottawa Senators back in 2013. He was a 40-goal scorer in junior with the Edmonton Oil Kings. And teaming up with Connor McDavid, Lazar helped fill the net for Team Canada at the 2015 World Juniors, where they won gold. But Lazar found out quickly he would not be an offensive force in the NHL. The Senators traded him to Calgary when he was just 21, and even though he chipped in with the odd goal, it was obvious he had to adjust or his NHL career would be over quickly. Uh, it took me a couple of years to kind of realize that, you know, if I want to stick around, let's find something else and, and get really good at it. Uh, going to my ninth year now, and I think I've found that role. Uh, and like I said, I mean, it's that, that foot soldier mentality, I guess you can say. It's uh, the stats that aren't going to show up on the score sheet, but they go a long ways, uh, you know, in the dressing room, then the, the character stuff. So again, what's ever asked upon me, I'm going to do it. Lazar seems a perfect fit in Vancouver. The Canucks have no problems scoring goals with their top-end talent, but they have been lean with gritty forwards who can shut down the other team and provide a physical presence. That's Lazar's game. It's that simple style, but you know it, it's effective. You know you get pucks in deep, you wear them down. You know you get the crowd in, you're playing at home, uh, and and ultimately, I mean, we get a chance to match up against other team tops lines. Uh, you know wear them down too. Just be hard to play against, and, and ultimately uh, responsible defensively. Because I mean that's uh, that's key moving forward is you know keeping the puck out of your net. Well, he's got the experience. He's he's aggressive. He's played on winners, and you know he's an NHL hockey player. And he you give him a shot at scoring, he's going to score. So. You know, he's going to kill penalties. He's, he's going to bring a lot to this team. Lazar was born in Salmon Arm and raised in Vernon. So coming back to B.C. to play for the Canucks is a dream come true. It still hasn't really sunk in. Uh, and again, also, you know, you've seen all the development staff, too, the former players. I mean, I grew up watching those guys, and now, uh, you know, they're coaching me and whatnot. So it, it's pretty cool. Uh, and also, I mean, you said from a fan standpoint, everyone's got their opinion. And as a fan now, I have the opportunity to do something about it. So I'm excited to see what this season has to, has to offer. Like I said, nine years in the league, this is the most uh, skill and speed I've seen on a team. It's a matter of us putting it together, uh, playing, you know, hard collectively, and, uh, and we'll be all right.
NHL preseason began today. Mitch Marner and the Leafs taking on the Senators. Ottawa's got a very talented team. Watch out for them this year. Tim Stutzla signed that eight-year, $66 million deal in the offseason. Shows off his skill, scoring on the breakaway to give Ottawa the lead. But the Leafs got three in a two-minute span in the second. The game winner, William Nylander to Dennis Malgren for the uh, goal as the Leafs beat the Senators today 4-1. to one. Opening night in the Western Hockey League last night. Giants at home to the Seattle Thunderbirds. First goal of the year for the Giants goes to Ethan Semenuk. But the T-Birds led 2-1 after one. Third period, Giants on the power play will tie it up. Ty Thorpe stuffing it in. That made it 3-3. No scoring in overtime, so it went to a shootout. But the T-Birds win at rookie Grayson Sachin. Scored in the game and finished it off in the shootout. Giants fall 4-3. They are in Everett tonight. The Lions will try to sweep their season series with the Stampeders tonight at BC Place. The first two games were in Calgary, including last week when Vernon Adams Jr. helped lead the Lions to an overtime victory. The fact Adams won his very first start after being with the team for just two weeks is pretty rare, but he's a quality quarterback and is getting better every day. If the Lions can win tonight, they clinch a playoff spot and have the inside track for home field in the first round of the playoffs. We've been really fortunate this year on offense to have a lot of continuity um, other than the quarterback. So that, that helps and having a, a veteran group of receivers and O-line and running backs, that all helps. And um, I really give Vernon credit. He's really worked hard since he's been here to, to fit in with what we're doing and take an extra time to, to um, you know, it's really a crash course on, on learning an offense in the middle of the season. CFL tonight, Argos and Red Blacks from Ottawa. Actually, the Lions can clinch a playoff spot if Ottawa loses. Second quarter, McLeod Bethel Thompson to the fullback A.J. Roulette for the touchdown. And the Argos had an 8-3 lead late second. Bethel Thompson with all sorts of time here, and he will fling it into the end zone for Curly Gittens Jr., who makes a nice diving grab. 18-6 at that point, and the Argos are piling on. 45-9 late fourth, so it looks like the Lions will clinch before they even play tonight. Baseball, Jays and Rays from Tampa. These two teams tied for the top wild card in the American League. Just 11 games to go in the season. Former Vancouver Canadian Alec Manoa having a tremendous season. This is his fifth strikeout of the day, the 300th of his young career. Still scoreless. Stays that way until the seventh when Whit Merrifield absolutely crushes one to deep left. A towering homer for Merrifield. He knew it. When he hit it, it's a three-run shot. Merrifield struggled since being acquired from the Royals at the trade deadline, but starting to swing the bat now, and that was huge. Jays win 3-1. They lead the AL wildcard by one over Tampa and two on the Mariners. Meanwhile, Aaron Judge chasing home run number 61 to tie Roger Maris for the all-time American League record. Victoria's Nick Pavetta on the mound for the Red Sox. You do not want to be the pitcher that gives up that milestone home run. And Pavetta did well today against Judge. Gets him looking for strike three there. Judge 0 for 3 with the walk. He is chasing the triple crown, which is first in homers RBI and batting average. Yankees did win thanks to this Anthony Rizzo two-run homer. That was after Pavetta left the game. 7-5 the final. Yanks magic number to clinch the East down to three. Day three of the President's Cup from Quail Hollow in North Carolina. USA with a commanding 8-2 lead over the internationals when the day began. Internationals and U.S. split the points in the morning alternate shot matches. In the afternoon, Jordan Spieth chips in for the birdie, gives him and his partner Justin Thomas a 4-3 win over Hideki Matsuyama and Canada's Taylor Pendrith. 
But this young man, 20-year-old Tom Kim, really helped spark an international comeback in the afternoon better ball matches. In the putt for the win there, followed by the epic celebration. This kid can really play. It gave the internationals a huge point and a lot of momentum and fire. And then in the final match of the day, Australian Cam Davis will clinch the point. And the internationals are still in this thing. They're down 11-7, but at least with a fighting chance during the 12 singles matches tomorrow. And we've got Labor Cup tennis from London. Team Europe versus the world. Kind of the tennis version of Ryder Cup, President's Cup. Felix Auger-Aliassime on the world team taking on Italian Matteo Berrettini, who filled in for Rafa Nadal, who pulled out due to personal reasons. Felix dropped the first set, but won the second. They play the super tiebreak in the third set, first to 10 points, and it's Berrettini who gets the victory. So Europe leads 8-4. to four. Felix will play a couple of more times tomorrow, doubles with Jack Sock, and then singles against Novak Djokovic. All the matches are worth three points tomorrow, so the world team still has a chance. There you go. All right, thanks, Barry. Up next, a fire hall baby 40 years later. The emotional reunion of those who were there for the big birth. Stay with us. Big Bertha, was it? Well, after two years of silence, the Vancouver International Guitar Festival is back in full swing. The two-day festival of all things six-string kicked off today at the Creekside Community Recreation Center in Olympic Village. Organizers say this is the only event of its kind in Canada. On display are one-of-a-kind instruments, handmade instruments, live music, and a chance to meet the people who make the guitars. It's really a celebration of guitar culture. Uh, we have guitars from all over North America, Canada, Europe, Japan, uh, and this is kind of like um, one-of-a-kind instruments that people will never see anywhere else. They're for sale, they're able to be played uh, and enjoyed. The festival wraps up tomorrow at the waterfront venue. An emotional reunion today just west of Calgary. Forty years ago, a young woman found herself in labor far from the nearest hospital. Here's Carolyn Curry de Castillo with the story of the baby who was born in the fire hall kitchen. Christy Perot is a nurse at the Foothills Medical Center in Calgary. From the moment she was born, she couldn't wait to go to a hospital, literally. Instead, she made her debut on a kitchen table inside Cochrane's Fire Hall. It's amazing. It truly is amazing that we're all standing here today. In September of 1982, the fire chief got a call that a young woman was about to give birth. The fire chief and a local physician met her at the Cochrane Fire Hall. And we knew that the EMS unit from Calgary wouldn't hear, give, be here in time. So we delivered a bouncing baby girl. The mother was 20 years old, visiting Alberta from Toronto. Scared, emotional. What am I going to do? <laughs> Wanted my mom and dad. She made the difficult decision to put her baby up for adoption. I didn't know whether I would be able to give her the life that she deserved. And so I had to do what I had to do for her. 40 years later, and that baby is now working as a nurse at the Foothills. A few weeks ago, Christy recognized the name of one of her patients. Turns out, it's the doctor who helped bring her into the world at the fire hall. Truly amazing feeling. Hard to put into words. So grateful to see the story unfold in terms of somebody we cradled in the fire hall become a mom, become a career nurse, and be very good at it. The baby, the patient, now becomes the nurse to the doctor. 
After that coincidental connection, the four people, biological mom, fire chief, doctor and baby, now all grown up, got together to celebrate their good fortune. Brings back a lot of tough decisions and memories and the biggest thing for me is that she's accepted me in her life because that biggest fear was she was not going to like me. Christy first met her biological mom in 2005, the Cochrane reunion reinforcing bonds between retired first responders and families. Because thankfully with my parents, it was always seen as a gift, a blessing. She chose to give me something she couldn't do and she knew that and I'm eternally grateful. Carol and Curry de Castillo, Global News. That's sweet. All right, uh, Christy Gordon, uh, I do have tomorrow off, so <laughs> hopefully it'll be nice tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> I don't, but I still hope it'll be nice. It's be gorgeous. <laughs> Barry, I'm with you. I'll be with you tomorrow. Well, I'm back some, Sunday someone's tomorrow Someone's got to do this on well. the weekend. We're, the world doesn't stop on Saturday and Sunday, right? <laughs> you know who else is here tomorrow? <laughs> That's exactly right. Chris Galis. Chris Galis. Yes. Big time on Sunday. It's mm -hmm. <laughs> getting the viewers ready. Yeah. Uh, we'll see the ratings go through the roof tomorrow for sure. All right, Christy, final word on weather from you. Sure. So we have three days of summer on the way. That's what you uh, have to look forward to. We do have a chance of showers maybe on Wednesday, but that's still a little uncertain at this point. So just enjoy the sunshine, you guys. This could be the last blast of summer. Dare I say that? I hate saying that, but it's true. It could be. Well... It'll come around again next year. It always Hopefully comes. a little sooner yeah. than I came around this yeah, year. Yeah, no kidding. All right. Thanks for having me yeah. on this Saturday uh, evening. Travis Persaud is here tonight mm -hmm. with Global News at 11. Have a good night, everyone.